Welcome to Around Kansas Wildlife Wednesday. I'm Deb Goodrich. And I'm Michelle Martin. And it's stormy weather in case you hadn't noticed. And behind me is a photo taken, taken by Roger Lanksbury. And I believe this is Manhattan or real close to Manhattan, Kansas. And behind me is a storm that eventually went tornado warned in South Central Kansas with that amazing lightning bolt that I took uh, 2015, 2016, right around there. So great times on the Kansas Plains and the Central Plains during storm season. Well, they make for gorgeous pictures, though they make for challenging experiences. And Michelle, you were a storm chaser at one time. So why don't you share what that was like and what do storm chasers do? You know, Deb, um, there's been a lot of discussion in the media and in the weather community over the last six to eight years, if not longer, about the role of storm chasers. And are there too many? Uh, are there not enough? Do they need to be trained better? We could go into those issues uh, all day. But by and large part, many individuals who are storm chasers like myself have started out because we have a, a fascination with weather and we want to see how weather forms and what it does. And we like to get a little more up close and personal. And in my case, it was connected to my work and it was connected to covering. I started out actually covering the aftermath of severe weather in the Central Plains as a photojournalist. And I became more interested in wanting to see what is this weather like before it impacts communities. And because then that gets you, it leads you into the research that's being done on severe weather in the Central Plains and how can we do things like increase warning times and provide better pin, you know, better accuracy and warnings. And folks, I will just say this, um, having covered numerous storms and their aftermath and having followed um, severe weather in the plains, as long as I have, our warning times are have increased dramatically. Mm -hmm. From when I moved to Kansas in 1997 to now, uh, warning times have increased dramatically, which in the end means more lives saved. So for me, um, one of the roles many storm chasers play is helping yeah, yeah. gather important data whether it be visual evidence, whether it be your experiential evidence and sharing that with weather researchers with the National Weather Service so they can go ahead and, and analyze it to help increase warning time. So for me, it was a lifelong love, love of and fascination with weather. It was an outgrowth of covering the aftermath um, of places and storms like that that hit Greensburg, um, Joplin, Missouri and other places. And so I took to the, to the open roads in Kansas and Oklahoma and Nebraska and Texas and parts of Missouri and followed storms to document them as I did the one behind me. And I ended up getting an amazing respect, awe and appreciation for the power of weather and the power of mother nature. I've always been fascinated by storms too. And when I was a kid in the Blue Ridge Mountains, I would turn around in my bed at night and face the window instead of, you know, lying with my head next to the wall so that I could watch the storms. And what 
is interesting to me is storms in the mountains are so much different from storms mm -hmm. on the plains. And of course, one of the differences is you can see the storms coming for miles, you know, maybe a day or two ahead. If you see those storm clouds in the mountains, it's on top of you. Mm -hmm. It's right. You don't have very long. And the lightning is so different. It is, um, it's hard to explain exactly because I'm not a scientist, but the lightning in the mountains sizzles and strikes stuff. And it's, um, it's like there's a pinpoint where that lightning is going to go. And I can tell you all day long stories of lightning strikes that our family experienced or our friends experienced or we witnessed. And one of those, um, you know, not to become maudlin, but I had a home struck by lightning that burned. So mm -hmm. I, I can tell you of people who died um, being struck by lightning. Um, I interviewed people who had been struck and survived. Um, any number of structures, um, one, I will have to share this one. One night, my sister and I were asleep. I was probably uh, 12 or 13 and she was eight or nine. And uh, mama came running into the room and woke us up, you know, because she was afraid we were dead and lightning had struck. We were on, our home was on top of a hilltop, just uh, the next highest thing would be the top of the mountain there. And the lightning had struck I don't know, maybe 10 yards from the house, had dug a trench, maybe eight or 12 inches deep, up to our bedroom window. It hit the cinder block of the basement window below our window. The cinder block exploded. And mm -hmm. it obviously woke everybody in the house, but us who are just uh, dead sleepers. But to go outside and see what that had done was pretty doggone scary. And when you get out here, the lightning, um, you can have that, but it's like it's everywhere. It's just a different, mm -hmm. it's just different. It behaves differently because, you know, the geography is different. So those air formations, you know, the clouds are different. That's all the science I have. <laughs> well, you know, Deb, in a way, we've had similar experiences. I grew up in Southwestern lower Michigan, which is rolling and wooded and, and hilly. And when I was growing up, we didn't live right in town. We lived outside of town. Uh, we were considered quote unquote in the country, even though we lived on a street that was some, somewhat busy. Uh, it was a two lane road, a lot of houses, but behind all the houses, there were farm fields that farmers still tilled and planted. And we lived at the bottom of a hill. And so it actually at, at the bottom of two hills and we, uh, one year it was, um, 1979 Palm Sunday. And I'll never forget it because mama was making lasagna in the kitchen. My dad and my uncle, uh, were in the living room watching basketball. My uncle and his two daughters, my cousins had come down to visit and mom was making food to feed everybody. Mom had forgotten some things. We needed a few things from the store. So mom and I got in the car and we went into town to go to the store. And lo and behold, along the way, we meet my mom's brother, my uncle Pat. And my mom says, you know, we, of course, you know, 
as families do, you look around, oh, there's a lot of traffic. We'll just stop in the middle of the road and talk to each other. Roll down the windows. Hey, hey, what are you doing? Have the conversation. And my mom says to my uncle, Patty, you better get home. You, you and the boys better get home. It, you know, they're saying we could get some bad storms today. You better hightail at home. And he says, oh, Susie, oh, we won't get anything. Oh, and he laughed and laughed. I hope we get a big one. We went to town, went to the store, came back home. Mom went back to the kitchen cooking and she had the kitchen window open and my cousins and my brother and I were playing outside. And I remember stopping and looking at the sky because it was this ominous, eerie green. And that green is the telltale sign that you've got hail coming. And my mom kept, I could hear her saying to my father, Dale, the sky looks funny. It looks weird. Dale, this. Well, finally, when all of a sudden the electricity went out and there was no basketball on TV, then my dad got up and came out and took a look. And about that time, all of a sudden, all the birds quit singing and some of the dogs in the neighborhood started kind of howling. And my brother and my cousins and myself, we were kind of walking inside and we were, you know, entering the house from our back door and I was standing on the deck and my dad was there and he said, you better go inside. And just as he said that, and he opened the door and he told me to go in and kind of push me in the door. He looked, he stepped back, looked over the roof of our house and across the street. And all I heard him yell was, oh God, it's a tornado. And it was right there that quick. And I'll never forget it because the adults grabbed all the kids, put us in a pile in a corner and and kind of flipped our dining table up to protect us. And we were all hunkered down in a corner and you could hear it. And it sounded like a hundred jet engines. And all you could hear was the wind. You could hear the trees, you could hear glass breaking and you could just hear that roar. And as soon as it hit, it was gone. And when we came out, the tree in our front yard that was probably a 150 year old tree had been picked up and it had been uprooted, it had been picked up and flipped and it was laying and it almost came down on our house. And it was a huge tree. Um, you start looking around and you walk outside and you hear this sound and it's the sound of debris coming down out of the storm as it's gone through. And I think from that moment on, I was fascinated. And then I saw the Wizard of Oz and saw the tornado and the flying monkeys. And that was one of my first introductions to Kansas. And I thought, well, wait a minute. I've already lived through the tornado part. Now can I go to Kansas and have the flying monkeys too? So uh, yeah, I mean, I think those childhood memories of things like weather stick with us and we don't realize it until we're older and until you're out there uh, making sure you're not in a bad position as this tornado-worn storm is going through and you're watching it and hoping, uh, boy, I hope this storm doesn't turn on a dime and make a make a sharp right turn and come right at me. So uh, yeah, definitely um, weather in the Central Plains is a form of wildlife all unto itself. The only time we get flying monkeys is when the legislature's in session, but that's a whole nother story. So we uh, we were not in Tornado Alley and the, the Blue Ridge, but it doesn't mean that you don't get them. It just means that they um, are rarely the intensity mm -hmm. or, or on the ground as long 
as tornadoes in mm -hmm. the plains. Of course, the flatlands east of us, you know, the coastal uh, plains, um, can get some pretty devastating tornadoes. Mm -hmm. And of course, the deep south, again, out of the mountains, um, are mm -hmm. certainly prone, especially around hurricane season. And we yes. definitely, even though we were 200 miles inland, we were on the eastern slope of the mountains. So we got hurricane weather. Mm -hmm. um, we got the torrential rains and then the wind that uprooted trees. And it, uh, it could be really devastating. Mama was in school, a little schoolgirl, I think, when Hurricane Hazel hit. And that um, she can remember, they lined them all up against the wall, you know, away from the windows, you know, facing away mm -hmm. from the windows. But she turned around in time to see the roof lifted off the cannery that was located next to the school. And, but um, uh, yeah, Mother Nature is the fiercest um force you know around us and i have to stop and recommend a book um right now from our uh, dear friend rod beamer the deadliest woman in the west yes other nature from 1800 to 1900 and he found incredible. some incredible stories um you know there would be um, stories of ponds picked up and moved to another location during a tornado. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's, that's mm -hmm. what, and, um, you know, lightning strikes that were just incredible. Yes. Just he, that's a fantastic book. Anybody that is interested in weather phenomena should pick up that book. Yes. And, you know, Deb, it's interesting because, um, having, lived in Kansas and Oklahoma, which is considered traditional tornado alley, having watched weather, having photographed weather, having covered the aftermath of weather, I became interested in looking at it historically as well. And Rod's book is fantastic. But it, as a matter of fact, you know, I just, when I read his book, I went, darn it, Rod, you wrote the book I wanted to write. So <laughs> I'm glad you did, Rod, because it's fantastic, but darn it, I really wanted to write that book. And I still may sometime because what I started getting interested in were um, obviously looking at the newspaper accounts, but in particular, looking at women's accounts, women's diaries, women's recollections, and looking at how women wrote about the weather and how it impacted them. And in particular in Kansas and Oklahoma storm season, oh my gosh, um, looking at women's recollections of the storms and how women reached a point, you know, storm season, in some cases was storm after storm after storm, um, that women would write about being wind weary because they were so tired of the sound of the wind from the storms rattling through their homes. In some cases, um, women literally, um, you know, you read women talking about, I, you know, I curled up in a ball in a corner and put my hands over my ears and, and hummed loudly to try to drown out the sound of the wind in the storm and how humans try to push back against nature. And I'm, I'm more convinced more than ever now that I live in the Southwest and we have extreme heat and we have wildfires um, that human beings need to we really need to be a little less arrogant 
about our superiority and mastery over the natural world around us. And remember that mother nature calls the shots, folks. It's just that simple. Um, and I learned that storm chasing and photographing in the central plains. Um, you can think you've done everything right. And in a, in, in a moment, things can change and things cannot be right. And so um, I definitely want our viewers to one, marvel at, there's a, a, an amazing beauty and architecture to a storm. And I'm fascinated with that um, on the scientific and artistic standpoint. But I really want our viewers to heed mother nature. And I know we get tired of warnings, tornado warnings, thunderstorm warnings. I know we get tired of them, but what I really hope people will do, and we can talk a little more later after the break is, do heed those warnings because they are critically important and they are life-saving. That's a fact. We'll be right back. Welcome to the Western Kansas Wildlife Travel Center right here in my hometown of Oakley, Kansas. We're the front door of Western Kansas located on three main highways, I-70, US-83, and US-40. And all those roads lead to history, beautiful scenery, and adventure no matter which direction you go. We now have an IHOP brand that you've trusted up and down the road in all your travels is staffed with local folks, real people, just like you and me, and we're waiting on you to join us. So for fun, adventure, fuel up, fuel your body, and let's have some fun. Howdy. I'm Seth Hayes and welcome to my hometown from then to now. Council Grove has a rich history as deep as the prairie tall grass. Spend the day visiting 25 historic sites or explore the unique shops and restaurants or mosey out of town along the Santa Fe Trail. You all visit my hometown, Council Grove in the heart of the Flint Hills. Welcome back. We're talking about storms today on Wildlife Wednesday. And as we said, nothing wilder on the Great Plains than Mother Nature. The photo behind me was taken by Andy Obermiller at Lincoln, Kansas. I think this is a fabulous photograph. Those angry clouds in the background. And I think those, if I remember that day correctly, erupted into some pretty exciting weather. And behind me actually is the aftermath of the massive tornado that struck the town of Greensburg, Kansas. Uh, I happened to be there covering the aftermath uh, for uh, news outlets and walked the streets of Greensburg with a dear friend of mine, Terry Ricketts, who was an artist. Terry grew up in Greensburg. When he went back to try to find his mother who lived in Greensburg at the time of the tornado, he couldn't find the street he lived on. And I shared this photo with you because I want our viewers to understand the power of mother nature and of weather and especially of our storms, our tornadoes and take them seriously. Um, 
it's not worth losing your life to ignore a warning uh, and not take shelter. And if you look here, we're so fortunate that the loss of life at Greensburg was not greater than what it was. Right. And that's warnings. It's people taking them seriously and doing the right things. But this actually, I climbed on um, the roof of a home that was only partially damaged. In retrospect, I would never do that again. <laughs> um, the home did have to eventually be torn down, but uh, I was with my friend Terry and we climbed up on a roof of a friend's home to get an idea because when you're at ground level and you're looking at the destruction caused by a tornado like this, it over, it's very overwhelming and you don't get the sense of scale until you get up high. And when you get that height just at rooftop level, it completely changes the complexion of what you see. And this is what you see when you're up higher um, in Greensburg several days after. Uh, we, everyone in Kansas and beyond remembers that very well. And, uh, um, you know, our hearts go out to the people in Greensburg still. And that town, fortunately, has rebuilt. Um, it is a wonderful place to stop. And they have um, in their museum mementos from that incredible night. And it is so touching to see some of the mementos that were found in the wreckage that were um, family treasures or maybe just ordinary things that were found in the aftermath. And uh, kudos to that, com that community and everyone who came out to help them rebuild after that terrible storm. You know, Deb, that was one thing that amazed me when I was there, uh, walking the streets, um, surveying the damage. Um, I shared my photographs with the National Weather Service uh, because not only was I covering this as a photojournalist, I felt I had a responsibility. I had gone through storm spotter training with the National Weather Service in Oklahoma out of the Tulsa office. So I actually was a storm spotter for Washington County, Oklahoma. And there were times instead of going out and actually chasing where they needed storm spotters and I would actually go ahead and stay home in my community in Bartlesville when I lived there uh, to go ahead and watch and monitor the movement of storms and to look for those telltale signs of rotation or of a funnel, it meeting the ground, having a tornado, to be able to call that information into the National Weather Service. And I know a lot of people um, watch, watch the movie Twister and they think it's just an adrenaline rush and it's excitement. But the one thing uh, talking to any seasoned storm chaser or storm spotter you will learn is that if you let your adrenaline get the best of you, that's when mistakes are made in many cases. Um, and you get too um, overly involved or, or and you kind of lose sense of safety. And well, that happened in Twister, you know, one of yeah. the parties of storm chasers yeah. were, were wiped away. So, yes. you know, of the things that happened in the movie. Exactly. And so for me, um, I'm asked all the time by people who know that I've covered severe weather. Well, I want to chase. And the first thing I tell them is the first thing you need to do is become educated and do it the right way. And so for me, that was one, I had, I had the luck and wonderful opportunity 
to have friends within, to make friends within the storm chasing and or severe weather photography community who counseled me to be extremely careful. And one of the first things I was told was get storm spotter training, do storm spotting first, and then work your way up. And that's what I did. And I'm glad I did because I never ended up in any positions where I was so critically unsafe that I would have been, I would have been in danger of losing my life or potentially um, putting someone else's life in danger. And so um, that's really something I think is important um, is learn about weather. You live in a part of the country where it is a fact of life. I mean, all you have to do is look at the newspapers, look at the diaries, look at people's remembrances and reminiscences from the 19th century. And you will hear about tornadoes or they called them cyclones at the time, tornadoes on a regular basis. Um, you'll hear about the destruction they cause and the loss of life and the untold grief. Um, and you're right, Deb, the community of Greensburg, people, when I was on the ground, they were already talking about rebuilding. There were families already saying, my family have lived here 75 years, 100 years, 120 years. We've lived here however long. We're not leaving. This is our home. It's our community. And yes, it has been altered, but we can. The community is more than the buildings. It's the people that create a community. And so I was really amazed at how resilient and even within just a matter of days of this happening, how optimistic people were about rebuilding. Uh, one woman I talked to, she said, between you and me, I never liked our house. The rooms were small, they were cramped. She said it was kind of dark. And she said, if I had to choose a way to build a new house, this would not be it. She said, but now I'll actually have the house of my dreams. And she said, and I'm just glad we're okay and our neighbors are okay. And she said, I, if I don't look at it this way, if I didn't look at it with some positive light, I would, I would cave in and I would cry and I would give up. And she said, but I can't. So now I'm thinking about the future and I'm thinking about what I've always wanted in the house. And I heard that from many people, um, how they were looking at it as an opportunity and not as um, a hindrance. And so, uh, you know, definitely kudos to Greensburg. Um, every time I come home to Kansas and I get to that part of the state, I always stop in Greensburg, whether it's for gas, to eat, to get out and stretch, to go see the big well. I always make sure that I stop in Greensburg because that helps support that community and their ongoing recovery. Absolutely. Since we're in Wildlife Wednesday, and of course, many of our viewers are hunters, fishermen, outdoorsmen in some way or another, um, watching the weather is all the more important. And I have known people and interviewed people who were caught unaware in weather. Um, it is a little sketchier for people that might be outdoors. Now we have cell phones that mm -hmm. give you alerts, but obviously you don't always have cell service. So it's really important to check the weather forecast before you go out, mm -hmm. especially if you're on a lake, um, yes. if you're out fishing, you know, you're in the river, 
um, or one of the creeks, you know, you really need to pay attention to the weather um, if you're in a really wooded area. And there are some in Kansas where you mm -hmm. might not have the visibility that you do on the open plains. And horseback riding. Mm -hmm. I interviewed a, a young man one time who had been out horseback riding, he and a buddy. And they actually, you know, knew the storm was coming. And so they were headed back in. And just as they reached the barn, they were actually leading their horses at that point, lightning struck him. And his friend said that he was thrown 12 to 15 feet in the air. And it's just a miracle that he lived through it. And that was, you know, taking note and, and seeking shelter. Mm -hmm. But also, like you were saying, gives you an idea that you may not have as much time as you think right. you do. And exactly. there are lightning strikes before and after storms. And mm -hmm. I'll tell you one that kills me, and I would really go on a rant about this, are kids practicing ball, football, soccer, baseball, or whatever, mm -hmm. in the middle of a storm with metal bats, metal bleachers, all that yes. stuff. Um, that makes me crazy. And if I could lobby for any one thing in the revision of school sports, that would be it. Too yeah. often um, coaches push ahead with, because, you know, you want to toughen up kids, but a storm is not the place to do it. Exactly. And, you know, Deb, we've seen over the last 10 years, um, in particular, the NCAA has enacted various kinds of weather safety protocols. And um, it's always interesting during uh, football season, especially the early part of college football season, especially when you're in Nebraska, Kansas, Oklahoma, Missouri, Arkansas, the parts of the country, you know, even parts of what are called the Little Dixie area for storm chasing and for, for tornadic activity you can still get some pretty potent storms August, September, even into October. And in particular, one of the biggest threats from those is lightning, cloud to ground lightning. And now the NCAA, if a lightning, if a cloud to ground lightning strike is detected within a certain mile radius of a sports facility, they must stop play. They evacuate the players um, into the locker rooms, and then they have the folks leave the stands and go out into other areas where they are out of that open air um, section of a stadium, and they make them wait it out. And they have to go ahead and have a period of time where they are lightning strike free, I believe it's for either 30 minutes to an hour, and then they can resume play. So that, and that's really important because we've had, unfortunately, tragedies that have taken place where there've been sporting events or rock concerts where there've been storms that have moved in and they haven't shut down events. And then people have been struck by lightning. People have been killed. Um, and it's so sad that it takes something like a death to bring about that change. Um, in Kansas too, another group I worry about during severe weather season are our ranchers who work their cattle, especially in the Flint Hills. We have so many ranchers that still work their cattle on horseback. Oh yeah. They don't use ATVs or trucks a lot. They like to go out on horseback to ride the range, to check the cattle. And those folks are also in great danger. Um, there are so many weather apps now, Deb, that you can get, um, whether it's you have the Weather Channel app or whether you have AccuWeather, um, the National Weather Service um, has apps. 
Radar Scope is a great app for being able to pinpoint where you are and look where storms are moving. Um, definitely find a way to get weather notices. Um, I think back to Topeka in 1966. And I think about all the stories when I worked for Bill Curtis, I cannot tell you the number of people that would come up to Bill, no matter where we were in the country, if they were in Topeka that day, that June 18, um, 1966, people would come up and shake his hand and say, you know, I was a kid and I was really mad at you because you broke into cartoons or you broke into this TV show or that TV show. You were, I was watching TV and all of a sudden you were on TV talking about the weather. And it's interesting, people say, but when you looked straight at the camera and said, for God's sake, take cover, my mom grabbed me and we went to the basement or my dad grabbed me and we went and got in a closet or we all went in a bedroom and hunkered down together. And when it was over, you know, our house was gone, but we were okay, or parts of our house were gone, or we came out and found most of our neighborhood gone. And people come up to him and say, you saved, you saved our lives. And that's how important our warnings are. If you want to read a great book, um, a good friend of mine, Mike Smith is a meteorologist. He has a book called Warnings, and it's a, a very, very accessible, readable. Um, he has this history of um, weather warnings. Um, and the and the weather forecasting that's incredible um, because weather forecasting has not been without controversy. It used to be you couldn't say tornado warning. Um, you couldn't say that on TV because they didn't want to cause panic. And then we see storms hitting and people great losses of life. And then finally it had to change. So, um, you know, folks, I can't stress enough. Just the photograph behind me should help remind everyone We've got to take our warning, those warnings seriously. And even if that storm doesn't do catastrophic damage like this, always remember it has the potential to do so. And we, we, we care about you. We, you know, yes. we love our audience. We really do. We, we love our Kansans. We love our audience. And we want you all to be safe. Another book I want to mention is by Bonner Menninger on the yes. tornado which is um, just a fantastic book. And Bonner interviewed so many people who were mm -hmm. um, there uh, June 8th, 1966, and just did a marvelous oh. job on, on that book. And, uh, you know, that's, uh, those stories are important to mm -hmm. us. And people who have been through an event like that sure never forget it. And, and hopefully we do learn lessons from those. And, you know, one of the... Uh, somebody else I think about being vulnerable during storms or campers. And of course, yes. season is in full bloom during storm. Mm -hmm. season. And one of the things that affects campers so often are flash floods. And yes. that is um, uh, another reason to watch the weather forecast because um, there's no part of Kansas that's not, um, protected from flash flooding. You know, there's some areas maybe more prone to it, but there's no area that is immune from it. And mm -hmm. the flash floods, flash is the operative word. They can come up like that. And, and I've seen evidence of that too. So that is something to really, really watch. Mm -hmm. So don't get anything else out of today's show, people. Be careful and watch 
watch what mother nature is doing because she will surprise you. Definitely watch her, respect her, give her a wide berth. And I also do have to say, you know, enjoy, enjoy the storm, enjoy the lightning show, enjoy it safely, marvel at it. Um, let it spark your curiosity, but also let it remind you that we need, that you should be safe as well. Uh, because you definitely don't want, you don't want to end up being one of the weather statistics. Uh, we certainly to, don't want you to. I've got to share a, a story uh, from one of my grandsons. We were driving back from, to Oakley from Sharon Springs, and there had been a, a really terrific storm. And to the south of us on Highway 40, it was black. It was just absolutely pitch black. On the north of us, um, there were a few scattered clouds, but the sun was going down and it was really bright. And mm -hmm. I don't know how old he was, you know, seven or eight or something. And he looks from side to side and he said, this must be where it's daylight on one side of the earth and nighttime on the other side of the earth. And he thought he was on the dividing line. And I thought that was the neatest thing, but that's what it feels like sometimes, especially yeah on the plains where you can see both sides of, of the weather story. It's pretty oh, incredible. Definitely. What an, what an astute observation out of the mouths of babes. Well, he is my grandson. So <laughs> that's it for today, people. We have loved having you with us and hope you stay safe. I'm Deb Goodrich. And I'm Michelle Martin. And we will see you somewhere around, around Kansas. Okay, looks like it's time for our tour. Welcome to the Fort Wallace Museum. Here at the museum, you're gonna find some really interesting stuff like our replica stagecoach from the Butterfield Overland Dispatch. We've got facades from the fort buildings. We've got an 1870s flag. There's a plesiosaur that was discovered locally. We've got the Ray pump organ collection. We're a little bit place with a great big story and we'd love to have you. In 1821, a trade route was opened from Missouri in the United States across prairies and mountains to Mexico. In 2021, we will mark 200 years of epic conflicts and grand adventures, larger-than-life personalities and sweeping landscapes. Join us on an historic journey. The Santa Fe Trail lives on. Find us on social media or santafetrail.org.